I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1975. The album, the best of Spike Jones, the artist Spike Jones, and my guest is Allison Dorr. Thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, and I don't always do this, but lately I have been because I've been having people on the show because I'm interested in the work they're doing. So let's front load a little bit and talk about your record label. Okay. Yeah, it's Howl and Roar Records. Mm -hmm. It is a female-centric comedy record label. And we just launched, so I am uh, really tired. <laughs> and I'm, I just booked a vacation for January because I don't think I'm going to uh, slow down before then. <laughs> that's see, that's amazing. This is I'm uh, I'm sad that this hasn't happened before, but I'm glad that I was there to to see it happen. So, what uh, do you have? Uh, do you have any scheduled releases you can talk about or what what can you talk about at the moment since you just launched? Well, there is a lot. So our official launch was the recording of Kate Davis's live album. Mm -hmm. And so that will be the first album we release, which will hopefully be within the next couple of months. And th that's the hard part is you don't want to guarantee a release date at this point because I'm still figuring some things out. Sure. It will be hopefully sooner rather than later. And we basically have um, the next up until the into actually well into 2019. We've got <laughs> uh, recordings lined up. Uh, I'm going to be going to Ottawa in November um, the album is female-centric, The sorry, the label is female-centric, so 80% of what we put out will be focusing on women, uh -huh. um, but I also wanted to make room for men, and especially men of color, men in the LGBTQ community. Awesome. Um, yeah, I just, you know what, I think the majority of labels are very heavy in white straight males because the industry is very heavy with that and it makes sense. And so, you know, my whole mandate is just looking at the people who often aren't the first ones to get focused on. Sure. And so in November, I go to Ottawa um, to record Kyle Browning's first album. He has been having a real breakout year here. And, um, I've got a lot of great Canadians lined up right now. Rebecca Reeds, um, Natalie Norman. And then I'm also in talks with some American comics. We're kind of figuring out how we can work together um, in the, the, the most legal fashion. Because the, the hard thing for me, it's easy for them to come here and work. Uh -huh. It's not equally easy for Canadians to work in the States. Right. So that's that's that tricky part. Um, but we've got lots of live shows coming up and lots of recordings plans. And so we're going to be going strong for, I think, a long time. That's awesome. That is so, and people can, I, I, I do know on Twitter, it's, it's howl underscore roar, correct? Yeah. And... Twitter is. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I was just saying Twitter <clears throat> and Instagram. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Um, and you guys are on Facebook as well. Um, that's awesome. This is exciting. I, I can't wait to see 
all of your releases. And if there's a, a, a mailing list, put me on it right away, please, because I want to make sure I can buy your stuff because this is very exciting to me. Do you know there's no pressure? Obviously, are you gonna? Uh, do you have any plans around vinyl releases or no? At this point, no. Uh -huh. The but we're definitely not ruling that out as an option. Sure. Um, you know, right now we're getting everybody off the ground and uh, focusing more on just getting people going with their albums and their other forms of merch. Sure. And, and at this point too, none of the artists have had a real passion for vinyl. Right. And so um, I, it's, I'm definitely not ruling it out. Sure. But unfortunately, you know how it is in comedy and especially as, as a startup, you're like, oh, there is not uh, just a flowing tap of money. No, no. And I mean, honestly, you know, and I've got my own tiny baby, baby, baby record label myself and basically created it to release my own stuff and doing the math. It's like, oh, I'm just preparing to lose money, but I have to have it on vinyl. If I got if I've got to keep, put my money where my mouth is for this podcast after seven years, I kind of have to do vinyl. And like, I'm excited to. But I'm like, yeah, 100. I mean, everybody I know who releases these on vinyl, they're like, oh, yeah, no, this is a money loser. This is not you do it because you you have to do it because you want to. So if your artist said I want to, that's a different situation. But it makes perfect sense. If they're not into it, why bother? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And and, you know, we will get to that point when um, hopefully when that is, you know, something that I could deliver for. I would find a way to do it now. But you're right. It would be real painful in the money side. Yep. And um, but. I'm excited to get to that point for sure. For sure. Um, so I love that you picked. Now, we've only talked about this album once before, um, and it was forever ago. So you picked the best of Spike Jones for the best possible reason, because you grew up around this album, right? Mm, yeah. So let's talk about yeah. it. When did you first hear it? Is it something your parents owned? It was uh, something my dad owned, and a lot of the comedy influences and the comedy in my life came from my dad. Mm -hmm. um, he's not a funny guy per se, but he is all like he. You know what? It's interesting. I don't. He doesn't have the same interest in comedy now that he did when we were growing up. But he was very influential, and my brother, of course, is a comedian as well. And a, we can sort of trace back a lot of the the influences we had growing up all really came through our dad so he had spike jones the best of spike jones and i do, i have no idea when i first heard it like it was always there we had the turntable in the living room and on this bookcase and the shelf underneath had all the records under it mm -hmm. and it was always there and it was just the weirdest album we had it is insane i love i love putting this on because it's not like i get to that frequently but i did put it on and my wife in the next room was giggling at everything because it's insane and i think kind of difficult to not laugh at for the most part well and it was you know when i was a kid so i knew uh, i mean stand up and sketch were revealed to me our dad used to tape saturday night live for us and we had um a couple of comedy specials like videos mm -hmm. uh, musical comedy was something that I wasn't really aware of. And so it was 
just this album that I don't think I fully grasped as a kid that this is a comedy album. I just thought this is a weird guy <laughs> doing weird songs. And then as you get older, I remember in high school, I used to make mixtapes for people. And then I would throw in some of these songs uh -huh. from songs, uh, just to be like, here's a weird thing that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so it had this weird effect on me because if people ask me today, do you like musical comedy? I'd be like, not really. Uh, not really my jam. Uh, you don't need to do a song. I'm good. Um, <laughs> But this album is something like I it's still stuck in my head. And like if, if I didn't hear it for 20 years, I would still be like my old flame, <laughs> you know, it lodged in there and really created uh, it probably broke something in there. I'm certain it did. I mean, it's you. The bonus, too, is that you do not have to necessarily be familiar with the stuff that was super popular at the time that he was parodying these. They do stand alone. I think for the most part, stand on their own. Absolutely. And in some cases, when I heard the like original song mm. or the like the serious song, I was like, oh, weird. <laughs> That's where this came from. And then and then you can't help but go into his version. For sure. For sure. I mean, and that's 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 everybody's experience with Weird Al. If you're a Weird Al fan, uh, oh, you know, yeah. so it's, it's it tends to be the same thing. There are also a couple of uh, one or two originals on here as well. But for the most part, like these are and actually I think it, it's interesting because you, you did say, you know, I just thought he was a guy making music that happened to be weird. I I think he would probably be OK with that because he did at some point try and do a couple straight albums without any comedy in them just so people would take him seriously as a musician, so. Yeah, you know what? And I think you're still damned if you do and damned if you don't in that aspect, right? Like, if you were a musical comedian, you're. I think there are aspects of the comedy world that are like, you're not a real comedian, and there's aspects of the music world that are like, you're not a real musician. For sure, for sure. And at the very least, I think maybe because of that, maybe the comedy community is becoming more sensitive, which is uh, would be shocking if that were the case. But uh, the... I think people have given Weird Al the credit for being the ridiculously good musician he is, finally. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about that. Like, okay, so there, I know people who are 100% diehard dedicated to Weird Al, and I think they do. Mm -hmm. But I think the average people who think Weird Al is funny, I don't think any of them think of him as a musician. I think they only really think of him as a comedy guy. For sure. No, you're absolutely right. I, I think there are there are maybe small parts of the comedy community, or pardon me, of the music community, like, you know, Weezer just had him, uh, he just performed right. Africa with them. You know, there, there's some people who you can see appreciate it, but yeah, you're probably right. The average person is not looking at it that where they're like, oh, goofy man on stage. And I get that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's hard. To, it's hard to get away from. It's not dissimilar to somebody who's in comedy trying to go into like serious acting or something like that. It can be maybe a bit of a hurdle. Yeah, absolutely. And I think anytime, even when comedy, when comedies, when comedians <laughs> try to do something that's slightly outside the norm, I think initially there's there's purists that resist it. I go, well, what are you doing? That's not really comedy, right? It always takes a little bit. You, someone has to establish themselves a little bit in their new weird thing um, before purists accept it. 
Yeah, that's true. There's there's a, a lot of proving yourself you have to do uh, if if you step outside the bounds of what's I guess traditional in terms of like what's accepted as comedy. But I mean, a lot of that too is got to be based on background too. Where like initially they see you on stage, they don't like how you look. You know, traditionally, you know, white straight dudes are going to be like, oh well, you're not what I'm used to, so therefore you cannot be in the the comedy community as I see it. So it 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 there's good god there's there's more obstacles than i'm ever gonna unfortunately uh well i guess fortunately for me more obstacles than i'm ever gonna face or then think about instinctively so i don't know i guess this happens all the time and i'm just discovering it you know slowly as i do this podcast well i also think one of the things that's so funny about the the comedy world and maybe this is just sort of the aspects of it that i i have seen the most but Comedians love to argue about what is comedy and who is allowed to call themselves a comedian. Right. And um, which I think is so hilarious because aren't we all here because we don't want to play by the rules? But then we're like, <laughs> let's make some rules. You're not allowed to call yourself a comedian yet. Oh, okay. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's a it's a real fun uh, little sandbox to play in until somebody says, "No, no, 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 no. You 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 don't build castles here. We don't that, that's not how we do it. Or we only yeah. build castles. What are you doing trying to dig a hole? It's it's uh, <laughs> arbitrary." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you have off of this album a a track or or a few tracks that you would consider favorites or earworms uh, or both? Um, you know, I, I mean, I already mentioned, um, My Old Flame, yes. which for some reason, I think it has just been the one that has stuck in my head the most. Um, and because I think it's also creepy and sad. Yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> the guy goes crazy at the end and there's a weird uh it's almost one of those things that it's so not straightforward in a way um that i think it's funny because because it's true <laughs> like you know love can make you insane sometimes and that guy goes nuts it's great. It's it's specific. We've talked about Paul Freeze on the show before. It's his impression of Peter Lorre, which is interesting. I'm going to do a podcast in about an hour where a Peter Lorre impression comes up as well. It's very strange today that this has happened. Um, it's one of my favorite voices to hear and favorite voices to do. But yeah, he he does nail it. And I, I guess if you're going to if you're going to do this, if, if you're going to do a track like this, I I, I suppose he's got to. Spike Jones was trying to play to everybody, so make it clear, very obvious. Not you, he didn't have to be subtle, and which is why yeah. you know he can do weird spit sounds in his music and insane like. I mean, the the influence of on Weird Al is clear there, just the weird sound effects as music. But then to have somebody oh. do this insane voice really does sell it. That is a really good track. And I just try to, you know what, I try to stay in the way I felt about it when I was young, mm -hmm. and I had no idea what the impressions were and who it was I was taking it at complete face value right I had no idea what the parody was sure and and all that kind of stuff and I uh, I I've never really delved back um except for like with stuff like William Tell Overture um you know obviously I was aware of that 
because it was um, a very it's a song that kind of pops up all over the place. Sure. Um, but I've never really divin divin dived dived <laughs> too deep. I like that I made up a word. Uh, I've never dove too deep into the origins of any of it. And because I, I love this feeling, you know, my dad used to also tape the albums onto cassette, ta- uh, yeah, onto cassette so that we had to do a lot of car rides. My mom, my mom's parents lived about five hours away from us. And so when her mom got sick, like several weekends, we would drive five hours each way Wow! Uh, to go and visit them. And so we had a the majority of our albums were also taped onto cassette so we could listen to in the car. And so it's also something that, you know, I remember it's Friday night, it's already dark out. We're on this long car ride and just listening to, to this very weird man. Yeah. Um, be weird. (laughs) It's permission to be weird. Right. I think that's the thing. It's like when I was a kid, I didn't realize how these things affect me. And now that I'm older and I look back there were certain cases of where comedians, um, I didn't really realize it at the time, but were giving me permission to just be a nutbag. That's so true. We don't talk about that too often. It's uh, you know we get maybe a little too deep into the analysis of what's funny and why it's funny sometimes, but then yeah, that's a very simple basic thing that that. And how old were you? Do you think when you first heard this? Do you know? Oh man, I was probably six. Six, and were you still listening into it in your early teens, or is that is that too late for you? Oh. Yeah. No, I'm still listening to it because when I think about it, and I can't even, I, you know what? I'm not even sure when um, my dad got rid of our record player, but mm. it was I. I mean, I was in high school in the mid '90s and making putting this stuff on mixtapes for people. So we still had our turntable then. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and I can remember I would still pull it out and listen to it every now and again. And then, yeah, put it, put those songs on mixtapes, um, just to partially competing with my friend, Stephanie, who would make me straightforward mixtapes, but with songs that I was like, where did you find this? And so I was kind of like, yeah, I've got a song you've never heard. That's amazing. Uh, But also knowing that, you know, in the middle of, Sarah McLaughlin and whatever emo uh. grunge I'm putting on there and stuff like that. Uh, I'm also going to put on this Spike Jones song that then all of a sudden you're going to be like, what just happened? <laughs> That's so good. That's the very essence of having a comedy personality. That's just like, I appreciate these other things, but please do not forget. This is the type of weird I would like to be permitted to be. There is a sort of like, hey, do you like this? Because if you like this, there's a part of me you might like that maybe you don't know about. That could be part of it. Or like, this is definitely a, it's always, a mixtape was always self-expression. And so for you to leave out something that insane would not be true to you. And I really love that. Yeah. And it's, this is all stuff that I've started to think about. People ask me all the time because, you know, my brother John and I are both comedians. And so people are always like, are your parents funny? Where did that come from? And our parents aren't like, there are certain personality traits that they have. Um, that I could see kind of com- combined in us to give us the ability to do this. But overall, I think when it comes to 
being able to do it or what inspired us when we were young, those are kind of the things that we're interested in pulling out and trying to figure out. And I think it's this combination of, yeah, albums like this, movies we were exposed to, um, and not really understanding at the time how it was affecting us, but now being able to look back and say, oh, these influences, um, yeah, gave me that a little bit of a different sense of humor, a little bit of a an appreciation of the unusual and of people that are unusual and of wanting to um, surprise people sometimes yeah. with something that's yeah. completely outside the box. I love that so much. This is this is. I don't know that this has ever come up in quite this way. This is why I love doing this show is because people have different. And I also love that I didn't have to ask you, uh, you know, why are you funny? You know, I didn't have to. You you volunteered that. That was that was fortunate for me. So um, it's I, something that I've thought about a lot because, again, and I don't know if you're familiar with my brother. Johnny's based in L.A. now. Yeah. But he we're very different comedians, too. And he's very kind of, he can be so ridiculous and outside the box and he loves misdirection and, and he's very creative um, on stage. Whereas I'm more of a straightforward, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm more of a straightforward storyteller. Mm -hmm. and so that's another thing I think about. Like we're both funny and we both like being funny and, um, you know, we inspire each other, but it manifests itself so differently in the way we approached our careers and, um, and just the way we are on stage. And so why, um, I always want to kind of try to unravel that. Why, even though there's, you know, you're never going to fully know the answer, but I think that's the kind of exciting stuff because when it gets to why is this album funny, to be honest, we can all give our best intellectual guesses but comedy is so subjective that it's like none of us really know why it's funny. For sure. That's I mean, and that's why I don't mind. Some people are like, oh, you've already talked about this album before. You don't want to do it again, do you? Well, in the case of albums we've talked about eight times, which has happened. No, I don't because it's boring. But I like different perspectives. And uh, that's, I mean, that's the big thing. Like, you're going to find this funny for a completely, you do. I mean, like, I discovered this stuff later with, uh, I won't say the benefit, but with the different perspective of knowing a lot of these references, knowing a little bit about Spike Jones just through osmosis, because people have talked about him on this podcast before. So I know him from that perspective, but yours is equally legitimate. I would say more legitimate because you grew up with it and it's part of your quote unquote DNA. Yeah. And, and I like to, there are some things that I like to kind of keep in that bubble. Uh, the other, I mean, the, the main influence, um, I, I would say I had two main comedy influences when I was young. Mm -hmm. um, one was, um, and, and possibly the biggest one was Eddie Murphy, Delirious, which my babysitter let me watch when I was seven. Oh, no. And yeah, like in hindsight, it's like so inappropriate, oh, but I God. loved it so yeah. much and I loved him so much. But the other oh, thing is a tape. Yeah that my brother and I wore out watching was Bill Cosby himself. Uh -huh. And now we know the curse of knowing too much and that your heroes can turn out to be hideous sexual predators. Mm -hmm. And so there's something now with some, some of the things that really influenced me as a child. I'm like, I want to keep it in that precious bubble 
where it it stays a little bit of a mystery to me. Yeah. And, you know, because sometimes you learn too much and it's, you know, as an adult, like Roald Dahl, I loved his books as a kid. I still reread them as an adult. And I hear sometimes rumors about like, oh, did you know he was a terrible man? And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not going to investigate. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I mean... the BFG for the thousandth time. Yeah, it's so it's... hard when it's, you know, there's there's there are a lot of arguments on on either side, but I. At the very least, you've got the bonus with somebody like Roald Dahl that he's dead. There's no punishment needed. And it's just like, I I don't know what to do with this. This influenced me as a kid. I don't think it made me a devil person like it made him. So we'll just we'll just leave that be. Yeah. And and it's because it's very hard for me to borderline impossible for me to separate art from the artist. Mm -hmm. And also, I think, you know, that's a very obvious kind of sort of blatant reason to stay in the bubble. But also... A lot of the time, I think, I like, I don't like picking apart um, the work of the people that have, has influenced me too much. Like, I, I like to watch it and know that it's affected me and... Um, a lot of people want to know who influenced that person mm-hmm. and like, they like to see the threads of where it all came from and how it all worked through. And I can understand that, but I sort of, um, yeah, I think I like to be a little bit ignorant in that way in, in my approach to those people and not know who came before them necessarily just be happy. They came before me. Well, and I mean, I've I've sometimes been on the opposite end of what you're talking about. But the thing is, the more I think about it, the more the stuff I'm picking apart on, like this podcast, for, for instance, is uh, mm-hmm. stuff that I don't do. I don't do stand up. I don't do musical comedy. I strictly do sketch comedy and in a very specific way. I'm actually more often picking apart the type of work other people would do. So as much as I might say I love picking apart comedy... I do 100% do exactly what you're talking about. And there's some stuff where I would just leave it to be the influence it was, let it still kind of wash over me in this general way. And I feel like the influence is still there. It's, you know, uh, you don't, you do not have to pick it apart. I don't mind picking certain things apart, but you're absolutely right. I kind of understand that there's, you're not necessarily being precious about it, but you are keeping it in this way that, I don't know, maybe it still allows it to influence you. It's still important to you. I don't know. I also think, you know what I'm realizing? I also think I'm slightly self-conscious that I won't be intellectual enough talking about Spike Jones and uh-huh. his album. And so I'm like, okay, also, it's okay that I'm a dum-dum about it. <laughs> I, I honestly don't think, well, okay, I didn't know the man personally, but I, he mm. does not strike me as the kind of guy who would have picked this apart himself. He would have been like, no, it's pretty simple. I put fart noises about farting in, fr- <laughs> in front of your, in, uh, Hitler. Like, that's, that's, it's not, there's uh. nothing to pick apart here. <laughs> you know and he was a serious musician on the side or this is him being a serious musician but he's like well i this specifically that song this is kind of an important song so let's let's do this say fuck hitler and and move on uh you know so he's i don't know he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who would have wanted to pick it apart anyway so you know you're doing right by him i would say yay <laughs> 
but I, I do really love this album, and it, it bears re-listening to, which does not happen with a lot of old comedy. Even though I do this podcast, a lot of it is shit. So it's, it's yeah. nice to be able to re- especially music, but it's nice to be able to re-listen to stuff that still feels fresh. And I think there's something, too, about it was created in a time where, like, vinyl was your only option. And so when you listen to when you listen to it in digital form mm-hmm. um, and you originally heard it on the vinyl, it sounds foreign a little bit. For sure. It's just same, right? It's not the same. And it's from an era when it's like, no, you should have to put it on a turntable but then when you listen to it it's like yeah this is still equally funny and dumb and i love silly comedy sometimes like as much as i'm in awe of people who are able to be funny about like socio-political things mm-hmm. and i think that's great i also love dumb fart jokes and <laughs> just being being an idiot and it's one of the reasons why you know Dave Chappelle's first two specials that he ever did, I watched them over and over again because there's this they're this mix of like very smart, so kind of social commentary, and then he's like also poop, right? And <laughs> that's the best. It is, and I mean, here's the th- you have there's this uh, comedy legacy in being born in Canada that, and I apologize because I do this every time I have a Canadian on, but I tend to fawn over Canadian comedy because. American comedy, once the 70s hit, was not the same because of Canada. We, we owe a huge comedy debt to Canada, and that, in, that very thing you're talking about of finding a beautiful balance of those two things is very Canadian. And I, even though you're talking about American acts, I mean, it's a very Canadian thing to at least find that and be able to expand on it. Uh, and it's, I don't know, I, I, I'm glad to hear it. it continues to come up when I speak to Canadians. It's just, it's a very common thing. Well, it's, you know what, we do seem to breed great comics here. And it's actually something that I was just talking about. I was doing my radio show live from JFL 42, which is a comedy festival here in Toronto. And mm-hmm. a lot of American come, acts come up. Sure. And so we've been talking about this. And it's, I think there's a combination of things that make it comedy a little bit more challenging here in Canada that kind of make you battle ready in a way that doesn't necessarily happen in the States, Mm -hmm. but we also don't value that here. And the Canadian people, like we've had this weird false humility thing going on for decades. (laughs) And so we don't think our artists are good until they move to the States. Um, And it's this weird, sad dichotomy where we're like, well, if you were any good, (laughs) Hollywood would like you. And and Canadian comics often, like, if you want to make enough money to live, you have to move. And so it's this weird, sad, I feel two minds about it, because I feel like part of the reason Canadian comics are that good, and even with, if you look at going back to, like, SCTV and Kids in the Hall, and Scott Thompson and I have talked about this several times it's like we don't want anyone getting too proud of themselves here so we send them away and then when they get away it's been such a rough road here people are like oh my god why are you so good (laughs) it's like because we're mean to our own in canada yeah it's like happy and sad 
for sure. I love. <laughs> It's Spot a, your podcast way down. No, nope, no, it's they're similar. They're themes, like I say. Every time I have a Canadian person on the show, it comes up. This, this is a very, you're a complicated people, and it's it's good to know a little <laughs> bit more about you. Um, can we talk or briefly? Yeah. Here's the thing. I feel like this needs a theme song, uh, uh, a segment where we talk about Canadian content. I just want to mm -hmm. talk about. I want your perspective on it. I'm not going to talk about it as though I know anything about it. I just want to hear you talk about it. About Canadian comedy? No, Canadian content. Oh, Canadian content. Yes. Yeah. Like in Canada? Yeah, Canadian? like just just the rules of whatever the percentage is. It fascinates me because we don't have that here, obviously. Oh no, sure, sure. Well, no, and I mean, look, I don't, I don't want to start a war, but right now <laughs> your government is like, guys, let us just take over all your entertainment, of course, and you guys do nothing. <laughs> so. I'm someone that I'm I'm really big on Canadian content, but it's just that we're doing it wrong. And so there is a percentage of um, hours on TV that have to be Canadian content. There's a percentage of like for American movies shooting here. There's a percentage of Canadians they have to employ. Um, radio stations have to play a certain percentage of Canadian music. And I'm fine with all of that because we are right next door to the one of the biggest markets. Um, however, where we do it wrong, and especially when it comes to television, and especially when it comes to comedy on television, is it shouldn't be a percentage of time mm -hmm. has to be given to Canadian content because what ends up happening is we have two major players in this country um, that make that they're two broadcast giants. That's it. We have two. And so what they do is they save their money to get the syndication rights for Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. And then they give Canadian productions a dollar to make a season. Yeah. And they're like, oh, so, well, Canadian productions just aren't as good as American productions. Yes, because you gave them $1. Right. Uh, you know, obviously that's an exaggeration. So if they would, if the CRTC here in Canada would say to these big, and, and by the way, these guys are making billions of dollars as corporations. It's not like they don't have the money. They don't want to invest it in Canadians. And then even the people in charge of like the comedy network, none of them want to take any risks. None of them want to try anything. They all want to go, well, we know this worked for the States. So let's just do the Canadian version of it, which is incredibly frustrating. Yeah. So I'm not blaming, I know a lot of people blame Canadian content laws. I'm straight up not blaming that. I'm blaming the people with the money. And the, the one thing that makes me nuts is we pretend there's no money in this country and there is, but I don't know why we can never blame the corporations that have the money for refusing to give it, give it to Canadians. Right. So this CRTC needs to tell these corporations, here's the percentage of money you of production money you need to spend on Canadian productions rather than saying you have to have eight hours of Canadian programming. It's not eight hours. I don't know what the numbers are, <laughs> um, but whatever the number is say, no, you have to put X amount of money into Canadian production because when we do make stuff, we make great stuff. But also, since since the 80s, the Canadian people have, again, in this weird, false humility way, gotten into this idea that Canadian stuff isn't good. Mm -hmm. 
And because again, we're comparing budget to budget. And so that's infuriating too. Um, and then even where the Canadian government tries to back up Canadian art, they kind of fuck it up. So Telefilm Canada, which gives money to Canadian filmmakers, but they only want to fund because they're essentially, it, this is going to be government money that's given out. They only want to fund nice stories. Mm -hmm. The whole family can watch together. So a genius comedy director like Jeremy Lalonde, who has written and directed most of his films, but his last film was actually written by someone else, um, Go-Getters. He's actually at festivals in the States with it right now. This guy is so funny. His movies are so funny. For people crying out for R-rated adult, but hilarious, full of heart movies, Jeremy Lalonde is straight up a genius. Mm -hmm. uh, he cannot get any funding from the Canadian government because he is making R-rated films. And so we're not funding good stuff. We're funding nice stuff. Right. And that is boring and dumb and we're risk averse. And, and then, and again, our Canadian identity is this weird false humility, because I'll be honest with you, we, our attitude as Canadians is like, Oh, we're not that good. But guess what? We do think we're better than everybody else. And so if people go, like we straight up think we're better than Americans and no Canadians will admit that, mm -hmm. but when it comes to the arts or it comes to, especially when it comes to the arts, we go, well, we're not, we can't, we're not as good as them. And it, so it doesn't make sense. We have a messed up identity. And instead of being excited and embracing what we're doing here, um, we get this weird, it's not good until you guys say it's good so weird to me because i mean that's half not half that's most of the point of canadian content anyway it's supposed to keep it's supposed to keep you aware of who the fuck you are and at the same yeah. time it's just completely sending people away when there's there's so much to be invested i mean how proud would somebody be who just like oh i've been struggling and struggling and struggling to make all this great shit but with very little money suddenly they gave me the money i get to make this great thing cool i want to stay in canada and keep making good shit in canada <sighs> yes <laughs> It's and yeah, it's this weird. There's so many things about it. And I think a lot of again, I think this idea that the CRTC is hurting us is also an idea that got into the head of Canadian performers when it's like, no, there is. First of all, it's it's a tangled knot of threads, but also it's just that we kind of have to shift the way we're doing it because there is some amazing stuff coming out of Canada. And so I have to give props to Crave, which is a streaming service run by one of the broadcasting giants. And so I don't know who they put in charge of it, but clearly that person has more faith in Canada than the actual parent company itself. Mm -hmm. And so they make shows like Letterkenny, which is now Hulu picked it up, and it's kind of becoming a force to be reckoned with. And all the guys on that show, they've done cross Canada tours. And so it's, they're, they're proving that we make great stuff and we can make great stuff. We just need someone to give us a break. Um, and they also have put out a bunch of comedy specials for Canadian comedians, which by the way, is almost impossible to get. There's no, we don't give any of our artists, but especially stand-ups, 
forget it. We do not give them anything or any help, any support in this country at all. But, you know, Crave has put a, put some of them out. And a lot of people are pointing to what Netflix is doing. They're like, well, a bunch of Canadians just got Netflix specials. Yeah, they all moved to the States, though. Yeah. I don't... Um, there's maybe, like, one or two that are being touted as the Canadians of Netflix. <laughs> but it's like... They, but yeah, they all live in the States now. So it's still, there's, we still have a lot of challenges in that way. And it's really frustrating because we are doing stuff like Baroness Von Sketch is getting attention in the, in the States and from comics in the States, but they're still like the executives here are still like, we'll see about it. It's going into its fourth season. What, or it's third season, but it's fourth season has already been greenlit, mm -hmm. but it's still mm -hmm. not, executives are still shaking on it, I think. And the Canadian public is still very, we're so hard on our own shows. Canadian comics will be the first people to crap all over a new comedy show. Mm -hmm. It's uh, we're, Oh God, we're really messed up people. <laughs> and that show's so, also got, I'd forgotten. Here's the problem. I'd forgotten about that show. Cause I don't get the opportunity to see it. That's got Meredith McNeil from man stroke woman who like, I mean, it's got a comedy. It's got probably other people who I'm not as familiar with, but it's got a ton of, it's got a comedy pedigree and that this shit can't break out. is so weird to me. It's, it's got, um, you know, Janine Garofalo is in an episode this season, too. Awesome. Like, it's making waves. There are people, um, recognizable people popping up all the time. If you're not familiar with the, the four core Baron, Baroni, mm -hmm. uh, which I believe is the plural of Baroness. <laughs> and so there's stuff, I mean, stuff is happening and, and stuff is making waves. But I think it's just the, the number one frustrating thing is that the people who hold the purse strings... Um, are they want guarantees and the reason comedy can be exciting and fun and can sometimes explode beyond your wildest dream dreams is because it's risky yeah and so how like what are you gonna do and and the sad thing is they want to save money so much that even you know my brother had a show here for two seasons called the John Doerr television show. And in its second season, like its numbers were going up. It was quite popular. It was doing well, but the budget would have to go up for a third season. They'd have to re-sign everybody. They'd have to, and they were just like, well, let's not. Boy, oh boy. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> oh my God. This, yeah. I got to tell you, this is the most we've ever gotten out of me asking that question. This is fascinating. To me. You see why then? Maybe. Maybe you understand why I'm so fascinated with it. Because there's there's a lot there's a lot more to it. And uh, well, I, it's culturally it's important. A, it's a big, dark, messy web. And it, and it's, it's super... I mean, I've also gotten to know um, a lot more about it. And I feel like I'm not really shedding light because it is... I'm still so confused about how all these tentacles... Sure work but you know in the last couple of years the what doing the radio show i do at sirius xm i try to have as many canadian artists on as possible and to talk about these things because the other thing is canadian media doesn't care about canadian artists or canadian comics like it's very difficult um we make it really hard on ourselves here and so I kind of feel like when whenever I'm asked a question, I kind of throw out a hundred different things and I try to tie them all together, but I'm not sure if I'm successful. Because I think we do have, we, Canadians are different. We do have something special, but we're also our own worst enemies. And one of the things that really needs to change 
in order for us to be successful is first of all, we, we all have to change our mindset in that Canadians are funny. We're funny when we're at home. There are no rules. Just because we're right next to Hollywood doesn't mean we can't make special things that people care about. There's also this idea that we can't compete because no one in America wants to watch Canadian stuff. And yet I know through listeners of my radio station, there are Americans that are completely enamored with Canadian television and film. And in fact, Jeremy Lalonde, the director that I was telling you about, that honestly should be a household name. And I will say this with no qualms. If you think that Judd Apatow it makes funny R-rated movies, then you've never seen a funny R-rated movie because mm-hmm. Jeremy Lalonde crushes him. And I like a lot of his movies, but get out of here. Um, <laughs> Jeremy Lalonde should be a household name. And I was introduced to him by American fans of his uh, through my radio That's awesome. uh, show. And then I started, they came up to Canada because they, they always donate to his Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. every film and they came up for the special screening that they got invited to and took me with them and since then I've become friendly with him he comes on my show all the time because his movies are so great and so yeah we culturally as Canadians have to start seeking these people out and supporting them because they they do play in the world marketplace we have this idea that Canada's garbage and no one wants to see our colorful money and I don't think that's true that's yeah. That's absolutely. It's not true. But I also will point out that the Go Getters, which I will now see because well, I'll see it based on your recommendation. Number one, but number two, friend of the show, Christian Brun is in it. So uh, why would I not watch Christian, him? Christian, who I love so much, he's such a kind and lovely, dear human being. And but you know, another Canadian that we lost to the to the Los Angeles, and which and it's fair enough, by the way. Like I I understand absolutely why people go and they want to build their, he deserves to be a big star and he's been in everything and he's in all Jeremy Lalonde's movies Mm -hmm. and is because he is so talented and so wonderful. And I hope he gets all the opportunities he deserves. Um, because you know, I don't, we're not, uh, we're not celebrating him enough here. He's got a lot of fans here, but not enough. Right. Oh man, there's really shit. He's great. He's he's like one of the more serious characters in it. It's a different role for him. It's interesting. It's cool. okay. Yeah, it's a bit of a hard ass in it. That's awesome. I love that so yeah. much. Um, I want to only because we do this every episode. Is I, I want to talk about why recommend this album. If you're going to recommend this album to people, which I'm guessing there are a lot of people of our generation who don't know who the hell this Spike Jones is. So maybe why why listen to this album? You know what? It's just an old-timey, weird, fun time. And I think it also goes to show that I think sometimes it's easy to get this idea of the past as being very serious. And it's like, nope, people in some way, it might have been less appropriate back then, but people have always liked dumb, ridiculous stuff that made them laugh. And this is old-timey, dumb, ridiculous stuff that will make you laugh. That's perfect. Yeah, that's 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 the perfect description. Also, I will point out to uh, people, I don't think I've talked about this much on the show, but I'm a really big fan of Jack Davis, the artist, and he did the cover for this particular version of this album, and it's amazing with Spike Jones and his giant wide eyes with red uh, irises. It's insane looking. Yes, I know, and it was a tiny bit scary sometimes as a child. I was like, I don't really want to look at the cover, but I'll listen to the album. 
I could see that. I could absolutely see that. Um, okay. Well, A, thank you for doing the show. Um, this was fun. This is a ton of fun. You've given me a lot of things to listen to and watch now, like to put my money where my mouth is in terms of loving Canada comedy. Um, but I want you to tell people again about where they can find you, where they can find the record label. Uh, anything else you want people to know about? Well, I, I'm going to plug the crap out of stuff. And thank you so much for having me. I hope I didn't ramble too much. I can, nope. I don't know, a lot. You are fine. Uh, you can hear me talk every day on Sirius XM channel 167 from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern time. And I also, on channel 168, um, they both originate out of the Canadian side of the company, but they're available all over the U.S. as well and, and on the app. And on channel 168, which is Canada Laughs, on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time, I have a show called Allison Doors Broadcast where I celebrate women in comedy all over the world. And so basically I just play great bits by funny women for an hour. Um, and online, um, Allison Door on Twitter, Allison.door on Instagram. And then, oh, I have a podcast too called Digging In with Allison Door. Uh -huh. you, you can see that branding wise. I was like, just put your name in everything. Uh -huh. So um, digging in with Alison Dorr, where I do hour-long in-depth conversations with people, usually about overcoming hardship and kind of building a success mindset, and um, and and just people with kind of interesting lives. And then the record label Howl and Roar Records .com, and at Howl underscore Roar on Instagram and Twitter. Perfect. Perfect. Um, I will only quickly tell everybody to, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, here's the thing. I'm very bad at branding because my Twitter and my Instagram and everything else are all the wrong thing. Uh, yeah. My Twitter's jklam, K-L-A-M-M. -M. My Instagram is jasonklam, K-L-A-M-M. -M. I also own the Twitter jasonklam, but that's for my alter ego. I'm an, I'm an idiot, basically. Uh, yeah. But... <laughs> We didn't know. That's we didn't true. know when the first thing started that you were gonna that branding was gonna become a thing and everything <laughs> had to be the same. Because for my podcast, every there's an Instagram, it's like digging underscore in underscore podcast. On Twitter, it's like digging underscore in. On uh, like it's you can we couldn't get all the same things, Jason. It's so hard. It really is. It is. Uh, but you guys can I'm I'm rarely do anything that isn't putting out one of three podcasts every week, but you can check that out. And you can check out my tiny record label at CelerySoundRecords.com, where we put out small albums. We do have Paul Dooley's 1961 album we just re-released, digitally only, but you guys can check it out there. Um, Allison, again, thank you for doing this. This has been a lot of fun. Well, th I appreciate you having me so much. Thank you. Of course. And thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. 
It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. Thank you.